So, Jonah, hey, what a story, kids. Pretty, pretty amazing. Has anyone ever imagined what it would be like to be living in the belly of a fish for a few days? Yeah, I know Iggy spent a lot of time thinking about fishing, so there's a chance he's, he's imagined it. I'm actually going to read uh, the passage from Scripture uh, this morning. We're just going to be looking at the first chapter of Jonah. Jonah's perfect. So, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Here we are, a great city. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Some of the uh, more sort of word-for-word oriented oriented translations will say Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord who's got that Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord and headed to Tarshish he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port after paying the fare he went aboard and he sailed to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this great trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the presence of the Lord. Because he had already told them that he was. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, said Jonah, and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm because I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out then to the Lord, please, Lord, Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done 
as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered him a sacrifice and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Does it get any more compelling than that? A single chapter of the Bible, that's amazing, isn't it? That's just amazing. I want to talk to you about three things uh, this morning that I think are really keys to unlocking this chapter and I think the whole story of Jonah. And we're looking at Jonah as a part of this Exiles series that we've been doing. And it's gotten tough at times, I think, this Exile series. It's been challenging. It's been maybe even confusing at times. I think we've, we've, we've looked at the instinct that we have to act in a certain way as God's people in a hostile culture. And sometimes uh, it seems like from this Exile series that our first instinct isn't always right, which is tough, right? Um, the whole wisdom warrior thing that we've looked at, do we sort of stand and fight or do we compromise? Really challenging to know. I'm hoping that this Jonah series for us simplifies things a little bit. Um, life is not simple generally, but sometimes we need some clarity to, to deal with the complexity. It's good to acknowledge both. And I think that Jonah can help us here. So I want you to think as you listen to this story, as you think about it, about these three things this morning. The first is that as human beings, we run from love, actually. That love is so powerful, so pure, that it's difficult to stand in its presence, that it is difficult to be unified with love. And so we run from it. We flee, as Jonah did, from the presence of God, from a God who is love. We can't stand to be in his company at times. And I'm going to explain why that is a little bit. It's unfortunate that love can have this effect on us because the second point that I'm making is that God's presence, love, is actually life. There isn't life outside of God's presence. His intended context for us is to be living in love, unified with Him. And there isn't really an alternative that's worth taking up. And the third point that I want to take from this morning is that we will be challenged, we will be surprised by where God chooses to presence himself. So the first thing is that we run from love as a part of our human condition. The second thing is that it's pretty unfortunate that we run from love because there is no life outside of love. And the third point is that we will be challenged, we will be surprised we will find it difficult when we realise just where God's love is going to pop up 
just where he's going to presence himself. Did you ever think about the fact before that human beings run from love? It's kind of a strange idea, right? I mean, who doesn't want love? Who doesn't want to be accepted? Who doesn't want to be connected to other human beings, to someone else who cares for them? I was talking to a, um, there was a, a, a professor teaching a subject on psychology at the same time as me this week, and I said, why do we run from love? I'm, I'm reading Jonah and I see that, hello buddy, this guy doesn't run from love. You're making a mockery of the point I'm trying to make. Um, Jonah is like this, this person in scripture who so many of us identify with. And he runs from the presence of God. He runs from God's love. Why is that? And she said, you know, it's not normal to run from love. Actually, we're not wired to, to run from love. We're wired for love. We're wired to be in community with people. We need other people to affirm us. We need people to care for us. We need people for us to care about. And she said, what goes on is that it's our brokenness, it's the smallness of our hearts, it's the suffering that we've experienced, the hurt when love's gone wrong, that ruins love for us. That's why human beings run from love, not because God created us that way. God created us to live in love. But things happen to us, junk comes into our lives. Sometimes we choose it, sometimes it's perpetrated against us. That, that makes love hard. The first chapter of Jonah, you might have noticed, says multiple times that Jonah was fleeing from God, was fleeing from the presence of God. And the Hebrew word um, for presence here is face. So if you translated it directly, it would say Jonah was fleeing from God's face. Andrew, you're kind of dramatically inclined. Could you come up here just for a moment? I just need a little bit of help. I, I imagine if anyone in uh, Cornerstone was going to be a good candidate for a show like Whose Line Is It Anyway or something, it would be Andrew. Yeah, but you're sitting on the front row. And Rob's got more. Um, <laughs> integrity. Yeah, integrity. He hasn't made a fool of himself as many times as you have. I know that you're up for it. So... Um, what is like a good little physical expression of God's presence and God's face? What's something that I can do as like a little prompt to remind us of this phrase, Jonah was fleeing from God's presence, Jonah was fleeing from God's face? <laughs> Come on, you, this is what you do. This is your bread and butter. Come on. Well, like, like can I do a little action? How would you... Like if you were doing a dance and there was a line in the song about presence, the presence of God, the face of God, how could we do that? Like that? Okay. That was really, I was expecting it to be serious. For the tape, if there's, there's lots of people not here this morning. Andrew was shaking his moneymaker there, uh, his groove thing. Thank you, Andrew. So like that, is that what you're saying? That's very dramatic. Thank you, Andrew. You're actually doing that to me now. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, love is hard, isn't it, Andrew? 
it's difficult to be in the presence of people at times, even people who we love. So Jonah was fleeing from the presence of God. He was fleeing from God's face. And um, I know this. I mean, I love the Hebrew language because it's so like physical, right? It's material. It's real world. You know this. You know this, don't you, Iggy? Iggy, when you've done the wrong thing, can you look me in the eye? I say, Ignatius, what are you doing? Nothing, Dad, nothing. Some of the older uh, members of the crowd, of the congregation might remember that feeling of um, you've been out at a party and you're coming home late at night and maybe you've do- been doing some things that you shouldn't have been doing, right? And you're coming up the stairs and you get into the living room and there's your father sitting in his chair. I'm really tired, Dad, I'll... See you in the morning. You know that one? You don't want to see his face, do you? You don't want him to see your face. You don't want to be in his presence in that moment. He may love you, you know. I hope he does. I I hope that we've had experiences of loving fathers. And you know that he's got some good reasons to be sitting in that chair, worried about you. And you've probably got some good reasons not to want to see his face, not to want to be in his presence at the moment. You see what I'm saying? Love is hard, and it's like that with God. We run from God's presence. We flee from God's presence like Jonah did. Because sometimes it's just too much for us. And so this is what Jonah is really about. I'm going to give it to you. I reckon uh, even at this early stage of the sermon, um, that we run from the good things that God has in store for us so many times. And this, as I've mentioned, is unfortunate because God's presence is life. I'm just flicking through my notes going, why do these seem different? They're not actually my notes, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go off the top of my head here. Which is good. So Jonah, it might seem a little bit harsh, actually, that God sends this storm, right? That God sends a storm to deal with the fact that Jonah is running from him. God says, Jonah, I've got this mission for you. You're meant to go and warn the people of Nineveh. I've seen their wickedness. This is one of the tricky things about love, actually, and the love that God has for us. We can kind of think about God's wrath, but it's the other side of God's love, right? Why does God hate wickedness? He hates wickedness because he loves people, right? And wickedness affects people. And so it's actually an expression of God's love for the city of Nineveh that he sends Jonah to them. And Jonah is in this boat with these sailors, these pagan sailors, and God Uh, sends a storm up. We might think that's 
a bit crazy, a bit weird. But it doesn't seem weird to Jonah. How do we know that? Because Jonah says, throw me in, right? Jonah's kind of, he knows that the storm is about him. He knows that he's doing the wrong thing. He's fleeing from the presence of God. Why does Jonah know that? Because Jonah is a Jew. Jonah knows the stories of Scripture, as many of us do. And this is one of those stories of Scripture that comes up again and again and again. This is how these stories go. Jonah is um, a prophet around the time of the exiles that we've been talking about. So this is that time historically where God's people have been conquered by foreign empires and they've been taken away from their promised land, from the place where they're to serve God, where their identity is. And we call that exile. When someone is away from their homeland, someone can't get back into their homeland. Jonah knows the Bible. And we don't have to get far into the Bible to pick up this exile theme. If you remember Genesis chapter 3, where we first come across this theme, Adam and Eve do the one thing that God has told them not to do. So they're living in their homeland. They're living in the presence of God. They're living in love. And he says, just don't do this one thing. Don't eat the fruit of the tree. And we know that they did. And it began the great exile of humanity where they were sent out of that place. Genesis chapter 3 verses 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So there's that presence of the Lord theme. God among the trees of the garden. It's a little bit like getting home after the party and seeing that the light's still on next to Dad's chair. Susan, do you think we can stay at your place tonight? We flee from the presence of love at times. And we see this story repeated again, actually, not long after this in Genesis 4, where Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel, have a dispute. Cain's jealous of Abel and he kills him. And it says in chapter 4, verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Eventually, if you keep reading the Bible, um, you come across this part that I've just mentioned where actually... All of God's people, all of Israel, are sent out of his presence into exile. They're carried off into Babylon or to Assyria, the capital city of which is Nineveh. Right? It suggested that it was the largest city in the world at its peak. So Jonah is a kind of double whammy exile story. Get out of my presence, son. Just stay away from this. 
Uh, exile is a kind of uh, a double whammy theme of Jonah. Historically, it seems to be happening, the story around the time that God's people, Israel, are in exile. But he is also leaving his native country of being in the presence of the Lord. He is fleeing the presence of the Lord. And the consequence of living outside of the presence of the Lord is is death. If we go back to that first exile story, Genesis 3, God says, if you eat of this fruit, what will happen? You will surely die. You will surely die. Sooner or later, you will surely die. You're supposed to live in love. You're supposed to live in love for eternity. But if you're outside of God's presence, there's death. And Jonah knew this. He knew these stories. He knew that this was the reality of the universe. This is how it works. There is life and there is love in God's presence. But there is death and there is hatred and there is destruction out of it. Psalm 16 verses 8 to 11 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So, We've already seen this morning that Jonah was running from love. God had a loving plan. He was showing compassion on Nineveh, actually. And he wanted, to, he wanted Jonah to be a part of that. And that's really the story of many of our lives, that God has good things for us, but they're too good for us. We can't handle them. We can't handle the fact that he has a claim on our life that would take us away from the things that we want to do. We're not actually in a position in our hearts. We're not ready to get on board with what God's plan of love might look like. Secondly, we've seen in the way that Jonah realises that it's all about him and he asks the sailors to throw him overboard that actually... Jonah affirms for us this truth that outside of the presence of the Lord, there is only death. There is not life. Jonah drops into the murky deep, surely destined for the grave. And thirdly, I want to make the point this morning that God will be constantly surprising his people as to where he wants to presence himself. There is some really interesting stuff to come over the next few weeks as we look at this amazing book. But I really believe that actually we could almost finish it with this first chapter because we can already tell what Jonah is really about, which is that sometimes the people on the inside track spiritually cannot deal with the fact that God cares about others. that God has a plan for people who are not on the inside track, that God has a loving, gracious plan, that God has compassion for other people who aren't doing all the right stuff that we're doing. I don't know if any of you had the misfortune uh, in school of having to run the 400-metre race. 
actually, I've got to admit that I kind of loved it. But um, the 400 meter race is like, if you're relatively fast, it's a minute of pure hell and pain, basically. Sprinting for 400 meters, uh, that's one way to know that you're alive. And you'll know that 400 meters is like a single lap of the track, right? And uh, unlike the 800, where you can break out of your lanes to kind of get as accurate as they can with the distance that races are running, you have to stay in your lane the whole way around the 400-meter track. Is anyone remembering? Is it bringing back some, some, uh, some, some, some difficult memories for people? And so you'll remember that if you qualify fastest, you get lane one, right? And lane one actually looks forward at the starting blocks for the other lanes. You remember, have you, I mean, Kathy Freeman, come on, we all know about the 400 meter. So the fastest ranked runner, the runner with the inside track, starts what looks to be the back, right? And the blocks progress forward. If you qualify f slowest and you're in lane eight, actually all of the runners are behind you, which is part of what's like sucky about getting that lane. Because if you start in lane one, it's like you can chase people down. And if you feel, I mean, you're probably already pretty fast to get that lane. If you feel like you're making progress on the runners in front of you, as you go around the bends of the 400 meter track, once you get to the home straight, what happens? All of a sudden, you've begun to run the same amount of distance. And so you hit the straight and if you've gone even just as fast as the runners in front of you, by the time you hit that straight, you'll be right there. And you get this kind of kick on because you feel like you're making progress against how everyone else is running. And it's amazing the psychology of not getting that inside lane because you can hear the runner behind you. And if you're like even just a tiny bit frail, you can start to think that's getting closer. They're getting closer. They're getting closer. And so you really want the inside track, right? And uh, the fastest runners with the best training, the most naturally gifted they get, that track. Well, who knows that we can kind of take that psychology into our spirituality as well. And I think that's Jonah's psychology here, actually. He's like, God, I'm a prophet of your chosen people. And you want me to go to Nineveh? To the Assyrians? You know what they've done to us, God. It's like the most evil empire in history. Surely not. Surely God wouldn't expect that of me. In uh, the book of Nahum in the Bible, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, say this of the Ninevites. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses all because of the wanton, wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I am against you, Nineveh, declares the Lord Almighty. 
Jonah's saying, I deserve this track, right? I deserve the relationship that I've got with you. I deserve to be here. Those people there, they don't deserve it. And yet God says, actually, it's like God saying, you know the training that you've had to get you the inside track? Why don't you go share that with the Ninevites? In fact, I think it's more radical than that. If you read the sweep of Scripture, God's plan seems to look like actually making the 400-meter race a straight run. The whole thing is straight. There is no inside track. And doesn't that just kill you, right? If you're doing the right thing, like Jonah, if you're a part of his chosen people, if you've been studying Scripture, if you've been worshipping, if you've been... Um, generous towards God and his work that it doesn't matter because he wants to bless other people he doesn't really believe in the outside track for Jonah the people of Nineveh don't even deserve to be in the race let alone to have the outside lane and so when God says to Jonah that he sees the wickedness and he wants Jonah to go to them, essentially warning them. It's like he's saying, you know the good coaching, all the things that I've given you, I want you to share it with them. And this picture becomes even clearer as you read the New Testament, um, that God wants to do away with the outside lanes. He, he's not as concerned with them as we are. We see this in the book of Jonah, even though Jonah is running from the presence of God. God reveals himself to those non-Jewish sailors, so they throw him overboard. God's plan for Nineveh keeps ticking along. Those sailors, um, it says, worship God. They make a sacrifice to him. They make oaths to him. God's all about breaking down this inside-outside lane system that we've got. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this way. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Jonah can't cope with this reality of who God is. But Jonah's not alone, actually. Commentators suggest that the book of Jonah is supposed to be like a mirror for the people of Israel. And as they read it, if they see uh, Jonah reflected back at them, if they, they look at their reflection and they see, actually, I'm just like this guy, then it's supposed to convict them. And I think it should do the same for us. God wanted to take um, Jonah to Nineveh, but he ran from God. He ran from God's presence. God reveals himself to the pagan sailors who were just almost like a side note in the thing. Jonah runs from the presence of God. He exiles himself from God.
so if God is going to presence himself in places that surprise us, where are those places going to be? What's the lesson that we can learn from here? Is God wanting to presence himself amongst the people of Nineveh? Well, surely not, we might think like Jonah. Those disgusting ratbags, those people who have oppressed God's holy people, those people who have lived these sinful lives, that was Jonah's response and it wasn't God's heart. Would God presence himself in Babylon? Well, we've been seeing actually that one of the things that came out of the exile period was that without the temple, so far from the Holy Land, God found a way to meet his people there. Surely God wouldn't want to presence himself in this city, in Brisbane, in Fortitude Valley at 3am on a Saturday morning. He's not going to be there. No way, surely, if he's with Steve. Is he going to be in Maruka, Logan, Caboolture? Surely not. Surely not. Will he be amongst the drunks, the prostitutes, the homosexuals, the transgender people, the Indians, the Muslims, the atheists, the godless rich materialists, the godless poor layabouts? No. The Presbyterians, the Catholics. You see what I'm doing here? I don't know who the trigger group were for you there. But God's calling you. If he could call Jonah to Nineveh and say, I have compassion on these people. I love these people. Whoever our Ninevites are, he wants to presence himself there. And the tragedy of this part of the story, if we were to stop here, is that Jonah misses the presence of God, right? He can't get his head around being a part of the fact that God loves the people that he struggles to love. And so he's going to go to a watery grave. Could I get the band up on stage? We're going to do communion just now. The lesson of Jonah is that God wants to presence himself in places that we're going to struggle with. What's really tough about that is that actually in our own strength, we can't get over that. We do run from love. We're broken. Our, our tiny hearts, our tiny broken hearts are too fragile for the love that God has. But there is hope in the fact, and I love this, the last verse that we read today. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the beast for three nights and three days. And that story that the kids... Um, had for us this morning tells it so powerfully doesn't it that God is the God of second chances and though we run from him there's grace 
maybe this morning you feel a little more like a Ninevite and, and you feel like you don't really have that relationship with God in the first place. Like you're, you've got the outside lane spiritually. God wants to live with you. God loves you. God wants to live in presence with you. For those of us like myself, maybe a little more religious, maybe we have been given the inside lane. We can't actually love the way that God loves. We're always going to be dealing with our brokenness, with our junk. There's going to be a sense in which when we get that call, we'll know in our heart that we can't do it. But God doesn't give up on us. We might go into the storm, into the deep waters that we deserve actually. But God is going to continue to come after us. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission. For further information about Cornerstone Christian Resources, please visit the Cornerstone website at www.